I'm so thankful for our partnership with the Spot Athletics in Columbus, Ohio. Our offices and our studios are here. And because of our partnership, I get to offer you 10% off of any of their sport and life programs. That goes for athletes. That goes for adults. 10%. All you have to do is go to the spotathletics.com backslash get started and enter code unscripted10 in the comments. That's all you got to do. The spotathletics.com backslash get started and enter unscripted10 in the comments. And they'll get you started today. When I think about you. Podcast. We're Tori and Shana, and you're listening to our song called When I Think About You. Available on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you enjoy your favorite songs. But for now, let's listen in to your host and our friend, Aaron Conrad. Okay, right, everybody, welcome back to Unscripted. From my studios at the Spot Athletics in Columbus, Ohio, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm a bit of a sports fan. Guys, why don't you introduce yourself and we will go from there. My name is Ben Valenta and I'm the SVP of Strategy and Analytics at Fox Sports. And I'm David Sikoriak and I started a company called Dexterity Consulting doing research, doing research marketing strategy type consulting work and Ben is one of my clients. Okay. So the name of the book is Fans Have More Friends. And is, is, did you guys co-write the book? That is correct. You read. Okay. Co-wrote the book. And I'll let, do one of you just want to explain the premise? Because I probably won't do it justice. Yeah. So, so I'll, I, I'll let know, you explain it. Start off. Ben and I have been working together for over 10 years. I think 2010, we started working. I was at NBC. So I was the client and Ben was at a consulting firm and doing brand strategy work research. And we obviously worked well together. Um, and I moved over to Madison Square Garden, working Knicks and Rangers. Sometime after that, and Ben was a consultant we brought in, and then Ben ended up going to Fox Sports, and I became a consultant. And so we re- reversed roles. I say all that, going back to that original Knicks Rangers time, we started with this insight of really understanding why season ticket holders, why you purchase a season ticket package for the Knicks and Rangers. And what it came down to was this insight of to be a fan is to be part of it. We all recognize that you're going with somebody else. You're going to the garden to be with other people. You're going there to experience a feeling. You're going to a, to an Ohio State game to experience a certain feeling. And it sat out there. Ben's over at Fox Sports. I start consulting. We're exploring a daytime talk shows, the World Cup in 2018, MLB, NFL, college football. Insight is always there. It's what we were seeing was when we were studying fans, and really our job was to try to understand what motivates fans to do what they do in a specific vertical. And we, as we were peeling back the layers, we began seeing over and over again that there were social relationships that were actually motivating behavior. You might think you're supporting the team and you are like, to be clear, it's, I got to support the team is there, but it's also, I got 15 friends wrapped up in it. And I feel like when I walk into the arena, I'm on top of the world because everyone's saying hi to me. And then I have all this knowledge amassed and I have all this social currency. It's really that. So all that, seeing that over and over again, led us to, we're research, we're researchers also. So we designed a survey and to go out to the population at large, our hypothesis was. The more engaged you are in sports, the more friends you are. So we advise a way to measure how engaged you are in sports and your kind of social network. 
And what we saw over and over again from the very first survey that we ran back in 2019 to the one that is fielding right now, the bigger the fan, the more friends. And it just wow. it doesn't end there. It's you value relationships more, you interact with your friends more, and the same holds for family. You are closer to your mother, your father, your kids, your spouse, your siblings, the bigger the fan you are. And we felt we stumbled into this and we had to write a book about this because yeah. it really, it sheds a different light on how we think of sports fans and the behavior that we find obsessive or juvenile is actually quite substantive and meaningful. That's incredible. That's because I absolutely agree with you. And I'm a little bit of a hybrid. I'm from Cleveland and I'm not a Browns fan. So that's the first assumption is if you're from Cleveland, you're a Browns fan. I left that train a while ago. I'm a Raiders fan because I left the Browns and I needed a team and Bo Jackson came on the scene. And so I fell in love with wow. the Raiders, which may even be worse than being a Browns fan. I don't know. But <laughs> but so I live in Ohio. I'm not a Browns fan, but I am a Cavaliers and now Guardians fan. I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I am not an Ohio State fan, which is like the enemy here. That's just unheard of. I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, which is crazy. But Anyway, in each one of those pockets, I've found that. And you, we were talking about Twitter before we got on. Some people hate Twitter, and I get it. I do. It's toxic at times and all those things. But I will tell you that my Twitter over the years, I think maybe 10, 11 years, something like that, has been pared down and selected to a mass majority of the followers and friends are Tar Heel fans. So that's the community because I don't live in North Carolina. And so it brought this fan base that prior to Twitter was somewhat disconnected. And I mean, you couldn't really connect with other fans if you weren't in that state. Anyway, long rant there. But as soon as I started reading this, I was like, yes, absolutely. I agree. So there you go. That's, that was the idea, right? We wanted to, we, as fans ourselves, we recognized this thing to be intuitively true. This idea felt familiar, felt right. And at a certain point, we just got tired of, of having to defend that in a meeting, right? It was like, no, th this is, you guys are all recognizing this truth that's just hanging out there. And then we're just skipping right past it. And we want to call attention to it, we want to draw a line under it. And so that's where we set about trying to find a way that we could actually put data behind it. We could get to a testable hypothesis that would compare your level of fandom to your social networks. And then from there, it just, the snowball effect took over. And it's because Dave didn't tell you, he left the story at just friendships and family connections. But when you then take it a step further and you recognize the importance of socializing in our lives, you then are opened up to this world of wellness, right? And wellness is a bit of a buzzword. When we started to look at fandom and happiness and fandom and life satisfaction and fandom and gratitude and fandom and giving to charity or being registered to vote, like all of these different things that we would recognize as objectively positive also have a correlation with fandom. It's not the fandom that's really doing the job there. It's the socializing. But fandom is the thing that, that provides the mechanism for the socializing. And so that's where we went from having maybe it wasn't a full length book. We went from this is an interesting and you could do a, a write up about fans and friends. But it's actually a lever we can pull if we recognize our fandom for what it is. It's a lever we can pull to improve our well-being. And it is. And a, we, we, it, we never think of it ahead. in that way, is the thing. I, I was in, I went to the Philly Giants game. I didn't go to the game. I went to the tailgate. I was doing a shoot for the book. And this is where they threw snowballs at Santa Claus, or at least these are the children and grandchildren of those people who did it. That tailgate, that parking lot couldn't be happier. It couldn't have been of a more social place, a more inviting place. Of, as we were walking around, we were doing man on the street interviews and people inviting us in, offering food and drinks, or it was just a happy environment. And we often think of that tailgate's going to be just this negative, negative environment, feeding those negative stereotypes. 
And 90% of the action on there was quite communal, quite inviting. You've been to tailgates, it's open. You walk wherever you're walking and then, hey, what's going on, guys? And it happened over and over again. And as, this, as we were pushing this and accumulating different data points, there's just, it was a big story to tell. And it just, we often sell fandom short. And that if you're a fan, you actually have a powerful tool in your toolbox to socialize with other people, do something that's good for you. It's good for others. And ultimately, as we talk later in our book, it's good for society as a whole, that this actually has cascading. More people are socializing, more people interacting. What they're not doing is getting off to their separate bubbles and fostering disdain for each other or talking about, hey, those people are this way because at the end, we're sports fans. And even if we're at rivals, if it's Ohio State, Michigan, that is a thing for you, for people in Columbus, just a little thing. It's still, it's a point of common interest and it's a point of common bond that I think we don't give it as credit as actually that that is, it deserves. It's certainly a conduit to a lot of different things. It's a jumping off place for a lot of things. I think it's interesting. And another example I was thinking of before we got on was I was down in Charlotte, I don't know, a few weeks ago and had the opportunity to go watch Carolina and Michigan play. And again, I'm in Charlotte and it was a massive Carolina. It was a neutral site, so to speak, but it was in Charlotte. So 80, 90% Carolina fans. But here in Ohio and Columbus, you've got this OHIO chant. You've probably heard it in airports or something, right? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't do it for me. I'm not an Ohio State fan. I'm not a hater. I'm just not a fan. And so it doesn't. But down there, they do the same thing, but they yell tar and then somebody yells heels and it just keeps going. And it was like sweet music to my ears <laughs> to be in my village. You know what I mean? And that's why I think the point I wanted to get to was I didn't know any of those people, but we have, a, we had a common, I felt like I was home, which is probably why here people here yell OH and IO because it is really it's home, but it's also home. It's a hotbed for Ohio State. I don't know. That was just another thing I was thinking of is these were all complete strangers except the guys I was with at the game, but we probably would have been hugging at the end of the game if it would have been a game winning shot because there's just that, there's that quick immediate. I just think this is a fascinating topic. Let me ask you guys, when you bring this up, do you see a light bulb go off for a lot of people? Do you see their, do people almost immediately go, yeah, I never thought of that. That's what I did immediately. Yeah. It's, it's like we are, they, there's like this flickering recognition that we're yeah. articulating what they do and then they see it for what it is. They just never mm-hmm. defined it in these terms. Like when you take, I'm in a fantasy league for the NFL with a bunch of college buddies, right? 16 of us. And it's probably good for, I don't know, a couple hundred text messages in an exchange in a thread on a given weekend. And when you, if someone else looking on the outside, looking in would say, that's just your fantasy league and it's kind of stupid. And what's it all for? And why do you do it? And I turn it back on them and say, no, it's actually, it's good for a couple hundred interactions with my good buddies who I would otherwise not be in touch with, or I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be in touch with as regularly as if I, because I have this thing. And when you, so then it changes the calculus on how we think about this stuff. So the draft weekend where we get together someplace is not some obnoxious weekend where we drink too much beer and we're away from our families and all that. Like that all is true, that that happens, but we're actually connecting. And so when you think about it in those terms, it changes how we feel about this behavior that we're already doing. And it should hopefully make us feel good about that. When we, it gives us this way into a conversation with long lost friends, with strangers, with buddies, with our families. I'm from Colorado. The Denver Broncos are the foundation of my relationship with my father and my brothers. It's like the thing we talk about. It's really important. If that did, if it didn't exist, we would have a, our relationship would be lessened somehow. And I think that's an important thing to recognize. And that's what, that's really where we got to with the book is we wanted to try and 
turn people on to this idea. Because if you recognize it as a force for good in your life, you can then use it, you can wield it, and you can improve people's lives around you just by simply saying hi to a stranger who's wearing an Ohio State shirt. That simple act can improve your day, it will improve their day, and we want more people to do more of that. Yeah. If you saw somebody with an Ohio State, and I, again, I know you're not on the team, yeah. but how would you bright, how much would you brighten their day if you said OH to them? Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Right? And the, when I picked up at the Philly tailgate and I started using it as we were chat with people is go birds. And it, <laughs> it made them happy. Like the fact mm-hmm. that I, a stranger, so to speak, coming in there would just use that as a way to say bye, made people happy. And these are little things that sports gives us. That is code for so much more. And to, to the point of you hearing that tar heels made mm. you feel at home. So let me ask you, and I, this is not by any way a sexist question. I hope it doesn't come off that way. I assume your studies have proven that I think this is better for males because females, I think, genuinely do this kind of thing anyway. So if, if I'm in the airport, I'm the guy that puts the hoodie up, puts my earbuds in, and we're not talking if we're sitting next to each other. That's just the way I am. I know a lot of people tell stories about meeting on airplanes, but if my wife is with me, she's going to get to know whoever's sitting right next to her. They're going to have a conversation. She's going to know about their kids and where they're vacationing this summer. I just, I don't do that. But if they had a Tar Heel sweatshirt on, oh, we're talking the whole way about all the championships and when they, st- you know what I'm saying? Have you found in any of their studies that this is the kind of thing that males in particular, I think maybe easier for them to create small groups because they typically don't like my wife's in a couple of small groups through our church and things like that. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And I'm not, again, it's not damaging either one. I'm just curious. So I think the words we use to describe what you're getting at are important here because it's not a phenomenon that's like better for men or bigger for men. In fact, when we look at fandom and we have this way of defining fans, we find that male and female respondents who, you know, who exhibit this behavior, they actually behave very similarly. Their attitudes are very similar. There's, a, there's more men in the core fan, what we would call high value fan bucket, but the women who are in that bucket, they look, talk, act, behave just like their male counterparts. And those people actually realize th- these same benefits. I think maybe the way to think about what you're getting at is it might be that it's more important for men. There's a lot of ink spilled lately. There's a lot of headlines that I've read about a crisis of loneliness. And so there's books written. The Surgeon General actually has a book called Loneliness that he wrote. He, the, the, there's been a lot of lines in the, the Washington Post, New York Times, the LA Times. Like We've seen these headlines around specifically loneliness that impacts middle-aged men. So I think it's recognizing that there is this tool that mostly men are already engaging in that can improve their life. And they're also ones who, who are suffering from this problem perhaps the most. And so I right. think it, it's recognizing the importance of it for men, but not to say that it's unique to men or can only be experienced by men or enjoyed by men. It's just that I think as men, we need to recognize that this is a tool we can use to connect, right? Like for instance, I wouldn't necessarily just reach out to a buddy and say, hey, how you doing? Like, right. how's your job? How's your family? How are your kids? Like th- those sorts of questions out of the blue, probably not something that I would do. I wouldn't call a friend up and say, hey, let's get together and have coffee and share our how our family or our marriages are going. But what's interesting is if it starts with a, hey, did you see that game last night? And Ohio State, or excuse me, Georgia put a hurt on TCU last night, right? Where it starts and then it evolves into something different, something more, more maybe more substantial. 
And I think it gives us this helpful way into a conversation, again, that would otherwise not happen because we'd be maybe scared of just like lobbing out a, a deep question. It's, a, it's something simple that we can reference that just helps grease the skids of a conversation that then turns into something meaningful and deep. And One thing I would say, just in terms of on the women's side, we do have some evidence in, in our survey data that would suggest that when you are on the highest levels of fandom, if you are a woman, you are actually experiencing some of these benefits even more. So just one from the fans have more friends. As you move along the spectrum of fandom, there's really no difference between men and women. Where the difference exists is women in the highest levels of fandom, women will have more friends than men. Then the same thing, so men are generally, at least through the survey, how they answer the questions of the survey, would report being happier than women overall. Where that's not the case, the one is amongst the, what we call high value fans. So as women get more engaged in sports, the happiness levels actually equals out with men. And we've, we tell a few stories of the, our book is littered with the data that proves our case here, but also stories of people that we met along the way, stories, stories of fans that we met along the way. And I don't think it was an accidental that we used women. Many of the stories were of women, of seeing this as a tool, like they were a little bit more conscious of, this is actually a device I have to navigate my workplace. This is a device I have to make friends at school because I am the quote unquote other at school. And that word, this is a way I could connect with my dad because the only thing my dad could talk about is football. So let me meet him where he is and at least build a relationship there. So it is when you recognize, to Ben's point there, when you recognize it as, as a tool, a tool for socializing, a tool for good, you might actually use it in a different way. The one thing I will well, thank- say that is, is unique to, to, to men is that men are the only people that pull us aside. We'll be having a conversation with the dads that pick up at school and they'll be asking us about this story. I'll give them the spiel on the book. And then they're the only ones that would then be like, bring their wife over, bring their girlfriend over and be like, okay, do the bit, That's- do the bit for her. You got to explain to her why it's yeah. important that I do this thing where I go away right. for the fantasy football draft weekend or I, get to, I have the boys over to watch the game, like whatever it might be. They're the only ones that feel compelled to have us try and convince their better half that they should be doing what they're doing. The reality is like, we say that very earnestly, like we, we then try and convince them because it actually is important for them. It's good that they're socializing th- these guys because they otherwise would not have the outlet. It's so funny you said that because that was going to be one of the questions I was going to ask was, is there a pass in the book? Is there a tear out pass <laughs> that you can get that says like maybe an infographic that has the data in something that's easily passed out to say, hey, listen, I got to go. Look, I got to go hang with the guys or that's uh, be with my friends. When we do the reprint, we're going to we're going to include the, the tear out pass. <laughs> There you go. I love that. The tear out infographic pass will be fantastic. The I think other thing I thought that was very interesting was even beyond sports, it gets into we are in a toxic, crazy, just divisive time where everybody's got it's very polarized. There's just a lot happening right now. But I thought you guys made the point, and maybe I'm wrong, that fandom actually also helps with that. Where if I know a Tar Heel fan who maybe is on the other side of the aisle politically. I'll probably be more forgiving. Is that fair? Is that what you guys found? Or it does? Go ahead. You just made a tough, complicated topic very simple. Explained it very simply. That is exactly it. You are. You might not be conscious of that fact, but if you're with Tar Heel fans, and there's going to be a, all sorts of people are Tar Heel fans, young and old, men and women, white and black, different religious affiliations, different political affiliations, different education levels. There's all sorts. But you're. It's about to, the Tar Heels then. And you having contact with people, you interacting with people that you might be conscious of that are actually different than you, see things differently, actually softens your, uh, disdain is the wrong word because I'm applying it to you, but what we see overall, as you're kind of, as you're 
social circle becomes more unified in a certain way and unifies around, I have a certain type of people that are all the same. And politically, we all view things the same and we don't interact with those other, that other group because we disdain them much. The hate actually goes up. So as you mix things up a little, they hate, there's measures and there's studies, and we we include data on this also, that the hate simmers down. It it comes down. So there's a a tool used, a device used in political science to measure disdain for the other political party. So the question is, on a thermometer, measure zero to 100, how hot or cold are your feelings towards us? So you would rate that, and then how hot or cold are your feelings towards Republicans? So naturally, in our times... Republicans rate Republicans like a 75, so quite warm, and rate Democrats about a 20. And vice versa, it works the same way for Democrats. Democrats rate Republicans about a 20 and, or a little bit higher, like a 24, and themselves a 75. But when you break those up by how engaged of a fan you are, you see it warming. So Republicans' mm. ratings of Democrats get better, get a little warmer. It's not hot at all by, by any stretch of the magazine, but it moves and vice versa, Democrats ratings, Republicans, it moves, it gets a little bit warmer. And in a time where we're so divided and it, it is getting worse, I don't think there's any way the forces at play are getting worse. And when we, we read a lot of books on polarization and it often left us depressed as researching for the book and reading is like, oh, how do we get out of this? This is really tough. But we're seeing that your sports man of your interaction, you being there and engaging with a group of people who might not all be in your in-group on, on Monday through Friday, but on the weekends they are because your Tar Heels or your Buckeyes or whatever it might be actually makes a meaningful difference. And if we leaned into that a little bit more, maybe we could at least soften some of these things. For sure. What, so what's the next steps? So now we've identified and I think there's enough data. What is your next step? Is it, and this, I don't want to diminish it at all. Is it simply, Hey, Find a fan base, become a fan, pick up a new sport. Is what's what do you where do you guys see taking this? Because it's very real. We've seen the data. I think all of us agree that, and I think those that read the book will agree. Where do you go with that next? I think for the like the it, what you said is absolutely right. Like that's where we go. <clears throat> it's recognize this truth out there, and then go lean into it. So what that means, I think the lowest hanging fruit there is if you are already a fan, lean into your fandom, recognize that it's good for you. But then also lean into those things that help you engage deeper in, in your fandom and, and with those around. So in other words, like Dave and I, I was falling out of love with like my the pick and pools and the fantasy leagues and all that kind of stuff. And this has completely changed my tune on that. So now I not I say yes to anything. Anybody invites me to I run the office to Super Bowl squares or March Madness pool or whatever it is, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to I'm going to engage meaningfully because I know that engagement is going to stimulate the group and the conversation and the interactions that take place as a result of that. I'm also looking for ways to do that myself. So I started, I pulled my uh, my brother aside. He lives in Colorado. You can bet legally in Colorado now on sports. We said, hey, we'll put up some money every weekend and we'll lay a couple, two, three bets if we like them. And all of a sudden we're talking like almost every day, right? Mm. Little text here and there. I, hey, I like this. Oh, the line's moving this way. I'm looking for ways to do that and just use this tool to create interactions with other people. I will always say, yeah, say hi, say go Dodgers. I live in LA. Say go Dodgers if I see somebody in the Dodger hat. Right. Mm. Or go Giants if I see somebody a Giants hat. Like, I don't even care what the team is. Like, if I see somebody wearing a a hat, I'm going to, I'm going to recognize that. It's recognizing those little things and then acting on it that I think is really what we're after. We want people to take advantage of this, leverage this as a tool, as a tool that it actually is. 
Incredible. Have you seen this as well? I have three kids and they were all in sports. And I've said this along quite often. My wife, we attend church and we know the importance of small groups, of being together with one another. I think we're built that way. We were designed to be together in community. So two questions off of that. The first one is just with everything else in the shutdown, I have to think that this was impactful in a negative sense because we couldn't be together with our friends and fans. I'm sure social media probably continued to do its thing. It probably saw a rise during the time, but did you guys, so let me just start with that question. Did you see an impact in the data as you, were you doing this during that time? Did you see that impactful data? I have to think it backed up what you're already saying. Yeah. So the pandemic created the opportunity to write this book because oh, we, we didn't have actually day jobs or we had, our day jobs changed a bit and we were exploring, but it also gave us opportunities to explore these things. What we saw immediately was, we talked before about happiness levels are higher amongst fans. We saw happiness levels for everyone, the most engaged fans go down a lot. But I think what we, what you saw with the shutdown in sports where there's these opportunities to connect with other people over, to send that text, right? Because now you actually have to text your friend and just say, how's it going? Instead of, can you believe TCU? Because right. that code for how's it going, just it's an easier thing to send than send that 11 o'clock um, so we saw that change. And then when sports came back, it still took a while. We talk about it as the water cooler was done. Right. The office is there. So you're going to talk about the game at the water, at the getting coffee at the office. And when we're not at work, that opportunity is done. And I think that incentivizes you from watching. If, it, if there's a game on, I'll watch it because I know Aaron's going to be at work and he's a big Tar Heels fan. And I get to say something about Hubert Davis. It just, it's a way that if somebody wants to connect with you is a great way. And those things are, were lost. They're coming back, but not back to the, obviously the same degree as before. The other question I had, the second part of that, I started talking about my kids. So I, I think we've seen that is that in community with our kids, watching them play lacrosse, soccer, basketball, softball, baseball, whatever it might be. That's where that community develops too. the parents sitting in the bleachers. And for the most part, that's, those are healthy and fun. And a lot of our really close friends came from watching our kids play a sport. Did you find that in your data as well? Yeah. So it's not even so much like playing the sport. I think the way, so I agree with everything you just said. And for us, like we've taken a keen interest in getting our kids into sports. I think we were already there, but now I'm just more conscious of it. Dave's now the little league coach for his boys. My kids are a little too young for that, but like I'm actively trying to indoctrinate them in this because we recognize the importance it has. Now, you, it's a way for you to bond with other parents, right? But you're also probably talking about the, the game, just the game that's happening on the field in front of you with your kids, but also just like the game, the other sports that are in your life, the NFL playoffs are happening and the NBA and the Tar Heels, how are they doing and so on and so forth. Like that's all part of the kind of like context here. And I think for kids, it's really important to give them this tool. We're both fathers. Um, certainly that's what I recognize and what's come of this from the book is it's really what you're doing is you're giving your kids a way to socialize and connect. My sort of biggest fear is that my kids wouldn't be able to make friends, wouldn't be able to have those kind of relationships that I've been lucky enough to enjoy. And by giving them sports fandom, you're saying, hey, this is, a, this is an easy way for you to make connection. It's an easy way for you to make conversation. And one of the ways that, that I think we kind of learn this skill is by playing and being on a team. Right. Not because even so much that the team matters, not that you're learning some lesson of team, teamwork and all that kind of stuff, although you are, but rather you're like the, your sons are, are talking about their teams. Like they're, the, they're talking about Donovan Mitchell dropping 71. Like that's going to be a conversation that they have with the people that are on their team. You're in this context where you're learning to use sports as this social vehicle. And I think that's the most important for kids. And we see this actually play out in the data as well. It's not so for the most part, what we've done is we've surveyed people that are 18 plus, right? 
And we thought, I wonder how this plays out with teens. Specifically, we've seen a lot of the same. We were talking previously about like the crisis of loneliness, crisis of middle-aged male loneliness. We've also seen a lot about the crisis of teen loneliness and depression and anxiety and all of these things. And so we then set about to survey teens. And what we found is that these same effects of fandom, they, they manifest with teens as well. So teens have more friends if they're bigger fans. Teens are happier if they're bigger fans. They cope with stress more capably if they're bigger fans. And so giving them this tool actually has a meaningful impact on their lives. Incredible. And it doesn't, we all stop playing as much as we want to hang on to playing ball. We all stop playing at some point, but you never stop being a fan. If you get that, if you can, and we're, I am actively trying to pass this down as it is a tool to socialize and Mm -hmm. They will do that forever. They're going to stop playing baseball at some point. And that happens for everyone. Even LeBron's going to stop playing at one day. Eventually. Eventually. So have you guys heard of Jerseys of Hope? No. No. So we'll have to connect that for you because I think a friend of mine just brought me into some opportunities with them. There's a raffle coming up and some other things. I'm going to attend something in February up in Cleveland. And I think the premise of Jerseys of Hope is very similar to this probably not as detailed. It was just a thought that somebody had. And that is, so people will donate their old jerseys and then they will use those at facilities like a senior care because on Sunday, everybody gets together to watch the chiefs play. And so as you guys were talking, I'm like, you know what, that's a wonderful foundation or group that, that I think is living out exactly what you guys are talking about. Old jerseys, connecting people together as fans, and they do it for really cool causes. It's amazing. No, I love the sound of yeah. it. Love to be connected too. Yeah. All right. I can do that. So we've taken a lot of your time. Let me, what are all the links? Like where do we find the book? Where do we find you on socials? Do you guys have a website? All this kind of thing. Yeah. So the book's called Fans Have More Friends. You can go to fanshavemorefriends.com for more information. You can buy it wherever you buy books, Amazon, Goodreads, Target, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera. It's available. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Ben Valenta and David Sikoriak. I will absolutely do that because I found that I, follow me when you get and again, I apologize for if you do follow me on Twitter. It's, it's quite an adventure. <laughs> Guys, this has been amazing. I think we could talk about this. Just really, this topic's incredible. It's really amazing. And I was so looking forward to, to this conversation today. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything else you want people to know about the book that maybe we didn't cover? Just embrace your fandom. Lean into this thing. It's a tool for good. Love it. Awesome. All right. So find the book on fanshavemorefriends.com or where you get your books. Follow the guys on Twitter. And what's next? Is there going to be like another book? I know we, we already know we're going to reprint. So That's with right. a pass. So is there going to be, is there going to be like, are you just going to let the, let's one cook for a while and see what we'll, happens? We'll let this one breathe for a bit, but we're already starting to kick around some ideas on, on, on book number two and how right. we can explore using these esports for good. So we won't break news here, but if you guys want to come back, we can break news on the next one. And the other thing I was going to say is you said you're embracing these opportunities. And if my kid has a sub sale for their sports, are you, is that an embrace that you, we say yes to everything. You want to buy some subs? (laughs) I'm just kidding. This has been great guys. I appreciate that. Appreciate the time. I look forward to, to reading the book and sharing it with others. Cause I think even this alone, even this conversation, I think has the opportunity to create fandom within this very topic. It's very cool. So Congratulations on the book, guys. Oh, thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Unscripted Podcast with your host, Aaron Conrad. Be sure to like, share, and follow on all your favorite podcast platforms. Also, make sure to check out our song, When I Think About You 
on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you enjoy your favorite songs. We'll We'll see see you next time time on Unscripted with Erin Conrad.